We're on the air. Let's see how the broadcast gets from the studio to your home. I just want to hear the music, that's all. Is it too complicated to just keep my records in the category, okay? Just put the rock and roll in with the rock and roll. Put the R&B in with the R&B. I mean, you're not going to put Charlie Parker in with the rock and roll, would you? What does it all mean? I don't know. Who is Charlie Parker? Yes! Sounds Visual is a podcast featuring interviews and long-form conversations with DJs, crate diggers, record collectors, vinyl enthusiasts, beat makers, producers, and musicians. Welcome back to another episode of Sounds Visual Radio. My name is Justin. Thanks for tuning back in. My guest on this week's episode of How Deep Is Your Crate is DJ Amir. Amir is a world-renowned DJ, crate digger, music historian, curator, and label runner. From an early age, Amir's ears were saturated with the sounds of jazz, gospel, soul, and disco coming from his parents' stereo. When he got old enough, Amir escaped into the world of hip-hop. But instead of the clean break he had intended, he discovered his parents' music sampled in the music of his peers. Intrigued by this new sample-based art form, Amir found himself tracing ties inside the music. Amir has been a man on a mission ever since. He's braved strange and dangerous locations for the rarest wax, dealt with the shadiest characters and collectors, and had his knowledge called upon by some of the biggest names in hip-hop. It was kismet that Amir would meet fellow crate digger and kindred spirit Khan in 1996, and the two became fast friends and collaborators. Shady Records, Pete Rock, Diamond D, and Capitol Records, just to name a few, have called upon Khan and Amir's expertise. And Amir's own client list has included Dilla, Madlib, Big L, Common, Dilated Peoples, Mandrill, the Mizell Brothers, Lyman Woodard, and Dennis Coffey. It was also during the 90s that Amir began working at labels. Starting out in an entry-level position at Fat Beats, Amir quickly rose through the ranks to become VP of Sales. Amir eventually also became the label manager of Wax Poetics Records. He has since started his own label, 180 Proof, and continues to coordinate the reissue of ultra-rare albums. During his career, Amir has toured the world, built an underground following into a worldwide network of fanatical fans, and in a world where anybody with a laptop or even an iPod fancies themselves a DJ, Amir is here to keep the true tradition of the DJ alive. All right, let's talk to DJ Amir and go deep into his crates. 
Okay, so uh, my name is Amir Abdullah, AKA DJ Amir is what most people probably know me by. Um, I'm originally from Boston, Massachusetts, born and raised there. Moved to New York City, uh, specifically Brooklyn, 25, well, 26 years ago now. But now I've been based in uh, Berlin, uh, Germany. But my trajectory basically in music starts off pretty much from the from birth. You know, my father was a huge jazz record collector. Um, you know, my mom was really into gospel. And my brothers and uh, sisters were really into music. So I grew up around that. I don't know if you remember the store Woolworths. So Woolworths, you know, my father used to take me there on like a Sunday. You know, we'd get a we'd get a, a Sunday, you know, ice cream at the counter. But like right not that far from it was you know, a rack of records they used to sell because Woolworths used to sell records back in the days. And then when I got old enough, when I say old enough, I'm like t- talking like 10, 11 years old, I would take whatever, you know, allowance money I had and I would go there, get my own Sunday and then buy records. And mostly I was just buying records that I saw that my father had or that my, um, my brothers and sisters had. I had no idea what really I was buying. I was like, I remember that record from the cover and I remember that record sounded good and now I want it for myself. Well, that, that, was, that was my journey right there, you know? And then when I got older and like really, you know, like the age of sampling and I remember just going, you know, into a, store, a record store in Boston and being like, I don't know where to start, but I'm just gonna start at the section A and go to Z. <laughs> And just, I'm going to like look for stuff that looks cool to me. You know what I'm saying? Because this store didn't have a turntable where you can listen to stuff. You know what I mean? So and I look at the back of the record. I mean, you know, a lot of these stories are like real commonplace now, you know, with, oh, I used to look at the back of the record and I would look at the liner notes and I would read who played on what, you know, record and who produced it and who played what instrument I like. But I mean, no one taught me that. I just instinctively decided to do that. And then obviously coming up in the early days of hip hop, you know, that obviously, you know, influenced me a lot, especially when it came to like sampling and everything else. And my um, my brother had um, this Grover Washington record. um, And I'm trying to remember Mr. Magic, one of those like one of those songs that I can't remember right now, but one of those songs on there was sampled by somebody. And I was like and then when, when I heard the. The rap song I was like wait a minute that's my brother's record like it just clicked like right away I was like and then I just I like got stuck on like dumb not dumb but I just got stuck on it like I couldn't I couldn't stop like wanting to look for records you know I ended up doing one of the first hip-hop radio shows at uh, Brandeis University was where I went to school and then from there I got into grad school and I came to New York City even when I was in grad school like I would I would just take off because I dropped out of grad school because I was like man I don't want to sit here and read about Max Weber and Karl Marx and you know uh, um, Durkheim and all these other you know philosophers and sociologists I'd rather be, you know, digging for records and listening to music and hopefully learning to make music. You know what I mean? Like that kind of took over for me. And I came to New York City with two other friends that were, um, you know, music producers and they influenced me. And 
I ended up getting a job in the music industry and started doing that. Around the same time as when I met Khan. And so, you know, most people probably know me from uh, my work with Khan. So that's K-O-N, Khan and Amir. And we put out several, yeah, several mixtapes and mix CDs and compilations, you know, throughout the late 90s and early 2000s. And uh, now I've been doing stuff on my own. We did six on track with the name on track. And we did six of those. And then we did, um, uh, I made him or us <laughs> do... Um, one called Poppin' um, Trans Europe Express. Uh, it was basically, cause that, at that time in 2002 and 2003, I was really heavy into like European um, jazz and, and fusion records. So it was like all the big, you know, all the big records that everybody's like going gaga over now, like the Placebo and the Mark Mullen and all these other records. I had all those records on there. Well, we had all those records on there because I was really big into those records back then. So I made him do that one. So, and technically you could say that's the seventh one. And then we did, um, and then the fourth volume, we did a double cassette. So that was like two hours of worth of music. But the, with the CD, we only did one CD. So like for those people that were lucky enough to get the double cassette, you got like double the pleasure basically. <laughs> So in addition to being an amazing DJ and obviously a widely respected uh, crate digger, you worked at Fat Beats for a while, um, starting out in an entry-level position, but then quickly rising through the ranks. Um, tell me about that. That was a good time. That was a good time to be there. I mean, I started off as a lowly like salesperson. Like when they hired me in 90, late 96, it was like they hadn't had any um, domestic salespeople because pretty much all those big records, like, you know, for most and, J Live and all that stuff. Nobody in America was really buying those. The only people that were buying those records were people overseas in Japan and Europe. You know, they brought me into trying to try to like open up the states to some of this stuff. And I was successful at that. And then two years later, I got offered to be like the, the head dude of like distribution and, and AR. And I was that until I left in 2000, until 2005. That's cool. Before we jump into your record collection, though, um, I do have to ask you how you got involved with the uh, Strata record label. Um, you were granted exclusive rights to that label's entire back catalog. So I'd love to hear about your affiliation with Strata and um, how that relationship developed. Yeah. So, you know, like just being a record collector, you know, I traded records with someone back in like uh, 96 or 97. He wanted this common sense record that I had um, the promo only of the bitch in you where he's dissing Ice Cube. And he was like, I'll give you um, this record, Lyman Wooded Saturday Night Special album. I was like, I never even heard of the record before. You know what I'm saying? I never even saw it before, but I was like, yeah, okay. Cause I had a box of those common 12. So I was like, you can have that shit. You know what I mean? Like, um, but when I got the record, the Lyman record, I was like, yo, this is incredible, dude. Are you sure you, this is, a, he was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, all right, cool. And then I immediately started looking for the other records on the back of the cover. You know, um, and I was able to, I think, find one of them, but the rest were all like urban legends. So I said then that if I ever got into a position where I could reissue or like find the owners of Strata, I would do so. And the first record I would do was Lyman. So then when I got into position at Wax Poetics, that's exactly what I did. I reached out to my man, House Shoes, who knew some people who 
introduced me to the owner of um, a strata and he put me in contact with Lyman and you know, then we were able to reissue, I was able to reissue it the first time through Wax Poetics. And, you know, at that time, I went circled back around to the owner of Strata and was like, hey, would you ever think about like, you know, licensing me the catalog, you know, like, cause nobody has ever reissued that catalog before, you know what I mean? And I don't think there had ever been any bootlegs either. You know, I think mainly because there were only six releases that were official on the label. However, they've recorded a bunch of music, which I've been releasing, you know, um, since that never came out. So, you know, she said yes. And that began my journey with Strata, you know, after I had left um, Wax Poetics. And so since then, I've just been kind of like, first I was doing it on my own. And then, you know, when you're a small label and you're, I'm still pretty much just me, myself and I. Every money I was getting from gigs was going to the label and I couldn't do that anymore, especially living in New York City, man. One of the best cities in the world. So I decided to partner with BBE. I had already been doing records with them for several years because of my relationship, you know, as an artist with them. And we, you know, we did a, a P&D deal, a pressing and distribution deal. And, you know, that's how I've been able to like sustain and really try to put out more of the, the Strata releases. All right, Amir, well, go ahead and take us through some of your favorite albums. Well, I, I would say number one for me, Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five, The Message. Because when I was a kid, you know, and this is like, you know, yeah, we heard um, Rapper's Delight and that was cool, you know. But when I heard The Message and that line about like rats in the front room, roaches in the back, you know, junkies in the alley, I'm like, I'm seeing that in my house. I'm seeing that outside of my house. I'm seeing like all of this, what he was talking about. And it just really affected me to the point because it's like finally somebody was talking to me in music, you know what I mean? Somebody, and the music was obviously good too, but it means finally somebody was like, I can relate to, you know what I mean? Somebody, somebody of my own. So that, that record, if you want to call it like if I'm on a desert island or if I'm marooned somewhere in the universe, all I got is these 10 records, that's definitely going in the pile. Broken glass everywhere, people pissing on the stage, you know they just don't care. I can't take the smell, can't take the noise, got no money to move out, I guess I got no choice. Rats in the front room, roaches in the back, junkies in the alley with the baseball bat. I tried to get away, but I couldn't get far, cause a man with the tow truck repossessed my car. Don't push me, cause I'm close to the edge. I'm trying not to lose my head. <laughs> it's like a jungle sometimes. It makes me wonder how I keep from going under. Standing on the front stoop, hanging out the window. And then the next one probably would be um, a steamy wonder inner visions because just I, I love that. I love that album. I mean, that's one of the first albums that, you know, I kind of really gravitated towards from my brother's record collection because he used to play it a lot, you know. And because him playing it a lot and me just sitting there and just trying to understand what the lyrics were. And just like, I used to, when he wouldn't be in his room, I'd sneak in his room and I would look at the cover and I would just stare at the cover and just be amazed at it. You know what I mean? So like that record definitely has a lot of meaning to me, um, childhood wise. And just, you know, whenever I hear it, it you know, sometimes it brings me to tears and stuff because it's like, wow, man. You know, because it's still you feel the you feel the energy, you feel the the uh, the soul and the, 
the pain and everything else in Stevie's voice in that record. People hand in hand Have I lived to see the milk in honey land Where hate's a dream and love forever stands Or is this a vision in my mind? A record that, you know, later on that I grew to love was um, that we added to this list is Miles Davis on Kind of Blue. Cause that was another record that my father used to play a lot. And um, you know, at first when you're young and you're hearing like straight, hardcore, hard, hard bop jazz, you're kind of like, it's not really my cup of tea. Cause you know, when they start going on the solos and that, you know, like all that crazy stuff or if it's really slow, so it took me a while to really appreciate that record, you know, but when I did appreciate that record, it's like whenever I hear, you know, that album, I mean, I just, it's another one that kind of brings me to tears because it brings me back to that connection with my father, who I love very much, obviously, and, you know, it taught me a lot about music, told me a lot about music, you know, so yeah, that would be the third one. that when I was in high school that was really big in Boston and it's part of the reason why Adidas uh, out of this as they say here um, is really was really big it's still really big in Boston like there was a point in Boston you couldn't walk down the street unless you were wearing Adidas sneakers if you were wearing Nike you might get jumped so the album I'm talking about is um, Run DMC Raising Hell when they had the song My Adidas right so that whole album, man, I used to listen to it back and forth, man. And this is when I used to have a boombox. I used to have a boombox that when um when I was in high school, I would bring it to school with me. And I would just remember bringing, bringing it everywhere. And I would just play that album all the time. And everybody, would, nobody would mess with me because, I, again, I lived in a hood, so I could have gotten that taken from me. But that album was such a, a, a poignant record for so many people in Boston. I don't know why it spoke to us you know, in Boston so much. I'm sure it spoke to a lot of people like that, but I just remember my high school days from that album. I can put in Lyman Wooded because that record, like, that's my favorite, like, jazz funk record, easily, you know, and that's the first record that began my journey to Strata, really.
Cool in the Gang, the first Cool in the Gang album. I love, love them, man. Like, you know, there's a reason why James Brown said the only other band that's as funky as, you know, my band is Cool in the Gang. And, you know, and it also helped that my brother, my brother Ronald, you know, knew um, um, Ron Bell. So, so then like he had a lot of their records. He had every one of their records, actually. So I inherited their records from him. So yeah, Cool and Gang is one of my all-time favorite groups ever. I would say the meters and the look of Pie Pie and, and you know, um, besides James Brown and Cool and Gang, there was other groups that were just as funky, you know, that, and that furthered my my um, my knowledge of, of funk music, you know, and Alan Toussaint and all that stuff, man. Ben, I don't remember the name of it. I probably couldn't pronounce it if I wanted to. Um, uh, it's the album where he's, it, it's a illustration, draw, it's a drawing of him holding a, a guitar. Um, but I love that record. You know, at the time I was, you know, when I got really into Brazilian music in the like the mid, the early to mid 2000s, man, I was dating a Brazilian girl and she really, really got me into that music, man. Like, I dove heavily into Brazilian. I mean, I knew the outskirts of Brazilian music at the time, but when I met her, I was like fully invested in it, man. And that was the record that she first gave me, you know, and I was like blown away. Viola. Divine Force, um, Holy Wars, because when I was also in high school, that was a big record as well, too. That was a big record that was on the radio a lot. You just couldn't like go anywhere in Boston without hearing that record. And that's just like, that encapsulates to me the late 80s, what some people used to call random rap. You know, there was this whole stage at some point in time, like 10, 15 years ago, where everybody's all into random rap, you know, but that that wasn't, that, that song wasn't random to me. That was like, you know, that, that was a joint. Supreme wisdom, wisdom is what I give them, just to kill. It's how I'm living. I'm Sir I, the guard on the microphone. Let me show you why the stage is my throne. Intelligent, individual with intellect. Intellect, you pick up the microphone and rest. You, you, and your homeboys too. You get proxy group or the whole damn crew. I'll do it casual. How come classical? Let's be rational. It's all actual. The laws of nature allows me to do this. So do the knowledge and watch me just prove it. You make a record. Is what I am making. Michael Jackson, the, um, off the wall. But that was another record that that record my sister bought me because she she knew I liked Michael Jackson, 
And I just, I, I mean, I still have that original copy and I can't even play it because it's so like beat up. <laughs> I must have played that record 20 times a day, you know, just because I love Michael Jackson and I just love that whole album, man. Like that, that's another one that just kind of just speaks of my childhood and I'm aging myself so much right here. Outbound is the name of the album. And that was another one that my father played a lot, you know. And then when he told me the story about what happened to Eric Dolphy, Eric Dolphy, his tragic death and stuff like that, maybe that made me like, you know, appreciate him more and stuff. But music for me, man, is just like one of those things that. I literally can say that it saved my life and it, it gave me life, you know. I grew up in the projects in Boston. I grew up really poor. And to get through a lot of that stuff, man, was music was the thing that, you know, kind of kept me level-headed and kept me from thinking about the stress and the worry about stuff around me. So I just dived into music and I never really left, you know what I mean? I just kind of stayed into it. And, you know, music was, for me, because I've, had the rare opportunity to be an executive in the music industry, not only from running, you know, um, Fat Beats Distribution back in the days and running Wax Poetics Records, um, and now running my own record label. You know, I've also been an artist. You know, I'm still signed to BBE as a as a curator, as a DJ, as a, whatever you want to call it. And then I'm also, you know, um, still DJing here a lot in Europe and around the world. So. That's a rare opportunity that most people don't get is to be able to not only do what you love, but do it in different, do it from different angles. And so, yeah, that's, 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 that's my life in a nutshell. Well, Amir, thanks so much for talking to me today, um, telling us your backstory and sharing some of your favorite albums with us. Why don't you tell us where people can find you online and connect with you? Well, definitely people can keep in touch with me, you know, on, um, Instagram uh, at DJ Amir 70. That's seven zero. Um, same thing on Twitter, DJ Amir 70. And if you uh, want to catch uh, me, you know, catch some of my mixes and stuff like that, you can catch me on Mixcloud, DJ Amir 70. The projects that I have, especially right now, this weekend, I'm going into the studio because um, I wanted a German grant here to work on an album with Jazzanova. Jazzanova and I are going to get together. We're getting together to do their favorite five tracks and my favorite five tracks from the Strata catalog. And they're going to re, you know, reimagine those, those songs. So we're putting that out on my label. Um, now I just found out it's not coming out to next year because all the pressing plants are packed. But um, so yeah, that, that's the main project I'm working on right now. Um, I just dropped a remix that I did with two fellas from um, Berlin, uh, Redecay, um, because I have the the stems from the Strata catalog. And so we went in and did a proper remix of uh, the Kenny Cox tune, Lost My Love. 
And then, you know, then it sparked an idea for me to do a remix album. So I'm doing a remix album featuring Motor City Drum Ensemble doing a remix, Geology, Kid Sublime, um, Jazzanova, and I know I'm forgetting. Oh, DJ Dez. DJ Dez from Detroit, who used to be the Slum Village DJ and also does music with um, Mahogany. And the reason why he's doing, because his father used to play on a lot of Strata records. So I gave him one of his father's records to do a remix of. And he got Amp Fiddler to play percussion and um, drums on it too. So, and then I, I'm doing another remix as well. So that that's coming next year. So is the Jazzanova. Um, the Jazzanova project is called uh, Strata Records, The Sound of Detroit Reimagined by Jazzanova. We're, it's coming out um, next year. So is the remix project. Um, I'm also dropping uh, through BBE the end of next month. A Strata Records compilation, the best of cho chosen by me. I have those three projects, you know. Um, and yeah, like I said, you can also catch me on Twitch TV. I have a uh, Twitch uh, session called Sunday Digging with DJ Amir, and it's uh, DJ Amir Seventy as well there. So you can catch me in any of those places, man, and you know, um, you can be updated on what I'm doing. Sounds like you got a lot of great projects coming up. I can't wait to check them out. Um, I'm glad we got to connect today. Thanks so much for taking the time and um, let's stay uh, in touch with each other. Yeah, no doubt, man, no doubt. Well, I appreciate it, man. Thank you. And you take care of yourself too, man. Cheers, Amir. Be well. Cheers, man. For an archive of Sounds Visual Radio episodes, please visit our website at soundsvisualradio.com. You can find us on Instagram at soundsvisualmedia. You can find us on Facebook at SoundsVisualPDX, or you can email us at SoundsVisualRadio at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.